pins and the best pins coverage. WXDX FM Pittsburgh, an iHeart Radio station. I watched the two bills. That's the ESPN 30 for 30 about the relationship between Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick. Belichick was the defensive coordinator for Parcells when Parcells won a couple Super Bowls with the New York Giants. It was very monotonal, especially in the part of Belichick. But listening to those guys talk about football and reflecting on what their teams did and how they did it, that's how I want my football team coached. Maybe that makes me old. Maybe that makes me out of touch. Maybe it means I yell at clouds. Or maybe it means I'm not some millennial crybaby that's as soft as baby crap who doesn't think he should ever have to know an unpleasant moment. At any rate, I want my football team to go to work and focus and be disciplined because winning is all that matters. I'm not concerned with how much fun the players have. When we look back at the Steelers of the 70s, we remember very little about their personalities, except maybe Jack Lambert, a little. But now, the millennials wallow in the showbiz and support the stupidity and think 13-3 is okay, even if you're one and done in the playoffs. Please excuse me if I don't think that way. I like the way the two Bills do it. And I like the way Chuck Noll did it. Sick Again brought to you by 84 Lumber. Helping you build the right way since 1956. I will never understand why that some of you, and some radio guys in town too, Care how much fun the athletes have. Leave them alone. They're just having fun. What's wrong with fun? Well, in the two bills, fun didn't really come up all that much. Belichick remembers Parcells telling him, there is no better feeling than winning a Super Bowl. I agree. I subscribe to that. But we got guys concerned about rap and Drake and social media and hide-and-seek and all the ancillary crap that just doesn't matter. But whatever. Check out that 30 for 30. The two bills, you will come away with a new respect for Parcells and Belichick. And if you really look at the way the Steelers are now and the way those guys run their teams, you would want one of the two bills to run your football team. I guarantee it. Belichick coaches the Steelers this year. They win the Super Bowl. No doubt about it. There might have been blood and a few bodies left along the way. But no doubt the Steelers win the Super Bowl because the Steelers had the most talent of any team in the league. But it's okay because 13-3 and is a great record. And they had fun. Don't you want them to have fun? What's wrong with fun? Leave them alone. Let them have fun. F-F-S. Uh, By the way, Antonio Brown is hanging out with Drake. Hanging out with Drake. That's better than beating Jacksonville, for sure. Hanging out with Drake. In this case, it had better be better than beating Jacksonville. Because A.B., 
He 0 for 2 against those Jags. 412-333-9939. Anybody else see the two Bills? I defy you to call me up and tell me you wouldn't rather have one of the two Bills running the Steelers than Mike Tomlin. And again, I keep stressing. I'm between a rock and a hard place with Mike Tomlin. I understand you can't fire him because his record's really good. And like Art Rooney II said, there's no guarantee that you'll go out there and get a better coach. In fact, you almost certainly would not. But I also know the Steelers have no chance of winning as long as this culture stays the way it is. And I also know that this Steelers culture has no chance of changing as long as Mike Tomlin enables it. And he ain't going to do nothing but enable it. He don't think nothing's wrong. And that's always been the Steelers' biggest problem when they do not recognize there's a problem. Let's go to Doug and Carnegie. Doug, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Hey, Mark, what are the chances the Penguins get Michael Grabner? Uh, I don't think they need Michael Grabner. Uh, Why would you suggest they get him? I mean, I just think he's fast and plays well with the system, fat body. Oh, okay, fat body, good one. Uh, I wouldn't really want Grabner. I mean, he's he's having a good year. I think he has 20 goals, but he's he's got eight empty net goals, or is it seven? He's close to the single-season record for uh, empty net goals. His contract, he's in the last year, only $1.6 million. You know what? If the price was right for Grabner, I'd take a shot. He'd be a decent fit at third line. Like uh, Dunsky there just noted, he has the speed. You know, I love it when some twerpy kid calls up and makes a fat joke. Because if he ever did that in public, I'd ask him for ID. If he was 18, I'd hit him so hard his sister would get pregnant. And that's hard, too. Let's go to uh, Casey and Gibsonia. Casey. You're all with the super genius. Hey, Mark. Uh, two quick things about the, the two bills. How about the, the part where Parcells yells to Belichick on the sideline that he better watch himself or he'll, he'll see him in the parking lot after the game? Did you catch that one? <laughs> I did. It was tremendous. And then Parcell, Parcells goes, I don't remember saying that. <laughs> yeah, because he said he had so many of them over and the And then years. he goes, yeah. doesn't mean I didn't say it, but I don't remember yeah. saying that. <laughs> but, hey, the one thing that jumped out to me is those Belichick defenses – were willing to adapt to any situation. They were ch- totally changing their scheme from one round of the playoffs to the next. Can you ever envision the Steelers doing that? I mean, I, I forget what year it was when the Giants won the Super Bowl, but there was one uh, Super Bowl run where the Giants played a different base defense in every playoff game, including a 4-3. The 4-3 was against, I think it was against the Bears because they... Uh, had a, had a run heavy offense, and they played a four man front for the first time all year. And then against the Lions, or no, wait, against against Montana, they had barely played man to man on first down all year. But Belichick said we have to do it against Montana, or he'll rip us apart. And they ended up giving up like three points across two games. Yeah, whereas the Steelers always play it safe, don't they? Right. Again, right. Uh, seriously, one thing that that separates a coach like Doug Marone a Super Bowl champion with Philadelphia. When he went for it on fourth and goal with that trick play to Foles, yeah. uh, Tomlin would have kicked the field goal. 
No doubt. But Marone understood that, you know, you only beat the Patriots six points at a time and not three. Whereas Tomlin, you know what's weird about Tomlin? No matter how bad his defense gets, he thinks the defense should be given the responsibility to win the game. He always puts the game in the hands of the defense. Case in point, Jacksonville playoff game. What did I say on this program the week before? I said, if you win the toss, you got to get your offense on the field. That's your best platoon. What did Tomlin do? Won the toss, deferred, the defense went on the field, and Jacksonville went right down and scored. He put the game right off the get-go in the hands of his worst platoon. Just an incredibly stupid coaching move. Was that the reason they lost the game? It was one of them, but, but it was incredibly stupid. Let's go to Ed in the car. Ed, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Hey, SG. Uh, you made a really good point yesterday. Oh, excuse me. I, I got uh, Doug Marone's the Jacksonville coach. Doug Peterson. I'm not even sure if it's Doug Marone. Marone's the – Peterson's the, the – anyway, he's the Philly coach. Go ahead. Well, anyways, yesterday you made a really good point about the fact that, that Philadelphia and New England both have a system set up, and it's running back by committee. They're spending 2 or $3 million bucks on backs. They're spending the rest of the money where they need to. We need to dump Bell and spend every penny of that $14.5 million on D. Well, not every penny, because you do need running backs. And there's no guarantee you could get a threesome together like Philly has, or even a duo. It wouldn't be easy to do, but I'd consider doing it. It depends who I could get at linebacker, but I would consider doing it. Yeah. I'll give you a case in point. Although the Patriots signed Hightower long-term. Remember when the Steelers were talking with Dante Hightower? Just for example, what if you knew you could get Dante Hightower at the price of not bringing Lev Bell back? And then uh, you still have James Conner. And Conner couldn't be a number one back, but he could be part of a tandem or a trio. Deion Lewis leaving the Patriots. They're not even going to talk contract. He's going to hit free agency. I'm not sure if he's the answer, but uh, he did pretty good as... Running back by committee in New England. Let's go to TJ in the car. TJ, you're on with Double M. Hey, Mark. Uh, yes, you've you've made great points, and I've always been saying it's been about the culture of the Steelers. And every time I bring it up, to any of like you said, any of the other people in this town, I get summarily. Well, they're all playing uh, fantasy football and yanking it and cranking it while they wear their favorite player's jersey. Okay, so when did you exactly think this happened? It was a th- during Cowers' time, or or when Art Rooney the second became the? Because I think it starts at the top. I, than, I blame yeah. Tomlin. Period, and I blame the leaders on the team. Then again, Tomlin has enabled for so long that the leaders on the team can't get the guys to follow. So I think Tomlin is, is the primary enabler, yes. Yeah, but why is Colbert and uh, Rooney allowed this uh, to go on? That, that's where my frustration is. And I think that they, we don't got, like, we've lost really good, like, Doug Whaley. You know, we've lost eh, a lot Doug of the Whaley, other. I mean, I'm not going to talk about things that have gone wrong since Doug Whaley left on. I mean, no, no, we mangled I'm Buffalo. That, I'm saying people like that that are good scouts and good. Eh, you know what, goodbye. You're like Doug Whaley's friend, I guess. And he was an okay football guy. When he became the GM of Buffalo, he mangled the Bills. Mangled the Bills. Uh, Here's a story. I I only just recently heard this story, but I know it's true. 
And I'm not sure if he'll like me telling it because it involves Mark Kabali. Mike Wallace didn't like Mark Kabali when he was here. So Kabali goes up and wants to talk to Wallace. Tomlin's walking by. And Wallace goes, hey, Coach T, do I have to talk to this fat bleep? And Tomlin goes, no, not if you don't want to. Okay, can you imagine, like, Lynn Swan saying that to Chuck Knoll? And can you imagine Bill Cower or Chuck Knoll telling the guy, no, you don't have to? You know, it, it's just, it's chaotic. It's just, it's, it, it's just awful in there. And let me tell you, you catch almost every veteran leader who left that team in the past five years off the record, and they will tell you that culture sucked. You know what? Actually, pick anything. It just sucked. 1059 X. Super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, hi, Mark. Hi. First, I love your show. I just talked to David Lee Roth. He said, somebody get me a doctor. The X at 1059. Somebody get me a shot. I have hot news. According to Ian Rappaport of NFL.com and Jerry Dulac of the Post Gazette, the Steelers have a new defensive backs coach. It is former Penn State and UCLA defensive coordinator Tom Bradley. Tom Bradley, the Steelers' new defensive backs coach. I think that's great. Uh, coach Bradley is one of the best football minds I've ever dealt with. Damn it, I knew there was a reason he wasn't at the bottle shop last night. I should have investigated uh, further. Uh, he interviewed yesterday, got the job, met with the staff today. So Tom Bradley is the Steelers' new defensive backs coach. I know what some of you are wondering, well, what about the Penn State scandal? Coach Bradley was there for that. You know how you don't talk about that? You just don't talk about that. Uh, good for Tom Bradley. Congratulations to him. I know he listens often. Again, a great football mind, and the Steelers will benefit through hiring him. Your thoughts on the hiring of Tom Bradley? 412 333 9939. Up. Some dunce call before mentioned the possibility of getting Michael Grabner to play center on the third line for the Penguins. Grabner, of course, a New York Ranger. The Rangers today with a press release that basically said to their fans, We're giving up on the season. Going to trade away a ton of guys. Please bear with us. As I said moments ago, you can do that. I'm not sure you should announce that. It's a surrender. They should, uh, they should, instead of instead of uh, playing the Star-Spangled Banner at the next Rangers game, they should just run up a white flag instead of the Stars and Stripes. They could play I Surrender by Rainbow. Pretty good song. Although it would have been better with Graham Bonnet and not Joe Lynn. I digress. Anyway, Grabner. He wouldn't be a bad guy to get. 21 goals and 5 assists this year. So he is a Cy Young contender. Uh, He has at least six empty net goals. Uh, I looked that up. The the most recent I could find was he scored an empty netter uh, about um, two months ago, and maybe not since then. He had a hat trick this year where two of the goals were empty netters, the last two. But he's a fast player. Not a traditional third-line grinder, but very fast. He's gotten Selkie votes in the past, 
best defensive forward. Yeah, I'd take a look at that guy. $1.65 million cap hit. He wouldn't be a bad get for the Penguins. Don't know what the Rangers would want. Don't know if the Rangers would want to deal with the Penguins and help the Penguins win, even though that would be petty. Tom Petty. Cheap trick song, Surrender. Rangers, give it up. Ha! Sather. Never won a damn in New York. You're only a genius with Gretzky, pal. And not even when you had him in New York. Let's go to uh, Mike and Butler. Mike, you're on with Double M. Hey, I had a couple of thoughts on the two Bills. Um, that's the closest, like, most personal look I've ever seen of Belichick and probably most of the public. Yeah, and Belichick didn't even give that much away, did he? He was very monotonal and really thought before he talked. He gave away more than he usually does, but really didn't give away all that much, did he? He didn't, but my takeaway from that was, in my opinion, he's a likable guy. And if you watch clips of him from, like, the sidelines back in the day or, you know, interviews, I think he's just a little bit awkward. I think he's a football genius. He's just a little bit socially awkward. I came away liking him more as a, as a person, you know, from what I I saw. came away understanding him more as a football coach. And one thing that, that convinced me, Every move he makes is for the right reason. Doesn't always work like that, you know, benching of the DB uh, this past Super Bowl. And I, and I still think that had to have been for disciplinary reason. We're going to go back and forth on that forever. I can't believe that Bill Belichick decided to not play a guy who had played 98% of his defensive snaps for tactical reasons on a whim. Then again, you look at some of the tactical adjustments that guy made. In playoff runs with the Giants as the defensive coordinator? Yikes. Uh, Steelers now confirming Tom Bradley is the new defensive backs coach. Uh, That's good stuff. Up next, we will talk Penguins with Josh Yowie. we got to get Coach Bradley on the show. You know what? This is a big moment for the Mark Madden show. They hired a guy who likes me. Tom, sign the contract quick before they figure that out. 105.9. This is Patrick Hornquist of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden and the best hockey talk on 105.9 DX. Speaking of good hockey talk, joining me now from TheAthletic.com, it's Penguins beat man Josh Showy. Josh, it, it's a minor thing, but why did Teddy Bluger get the call up at center and not JSD? I thought D did okay during his prior stint in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I did too, Mark. Uh, I think it is uh, strictly because of his penalty killing ability. Uh, Bluger's a pretty good penalty killer, from what I've been told. I haven't really seen him play that much. And the Penguins are going to be without Tom Kunakel for sure this weekend, and very possibly Carter Rowney. Those are two of their most important penalty killers. So I think they're strictly looking for a guy who can help them in that area. That's probably all it was. Um, and, you know, Bluger had a pretty decent camp. Uh, he's a guy they're somewhat high on. Maybe they just want to get a little look at him, too. That's entirely possible. And Connor Sherry is expected to play this weekend, correct? Uh, yeah, they didn't say that for sure, but he looked fine in practice, and I certainly was under the impression that he will indeed be playing uh, tomorrow night in Dallas. I, I would expect him to be in the lineup. Phil's back on the line with Geno. Sid's playing with Gunsel. Is that just necessity right now with guys hurt? Because Sullivan would rather keep the big three on different lines. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we, we saw it in their last game, in fact, uh, against Vegas. Um, there were so many forwards out of the lineup. 
it's not really fair for Sid or Gino to have to play with Tom Kunako. Nothing against Kunako, but that, you know, um, eventually you have to keep the really skilled players together to some extent. In a perfect world, they keep them separated. And, and I know for a fact that when when Kessel and Malkin are together, they tend to drive the head coach absolutely crazy. And I understand that, but they also tend to score a lot of goals when they're together. So he, he needs to consider that as well. And maybe Mark, the more interesting one is Krause and Gensel. Uh, they were so great together last season. They, they look great in preseason and training camp. Then all of a sudden, a few bad games together, and they've been separated for most of the season. But I still expect Gensel to be on Crosby's left wing when the playoffs begin. And I'm curious to see how they look together tomorrow night. Why is Evgeny Malkin this hot? We've seen him score a lot of goals over his tenure in Pittsburgh, but nine goals in five games is otherworldly. And on top of the goals, he's getting chance after chance after chance. Yeah, he's playing MVP hockey right now. He, he really is. He, he's just extraordinarily good at the moment. Um, well, I've long believed this, and I think you'll agree with me, that Evgeny Malkin is at his very best when he's trying to score goals. Um, yeah, he can be a great playmaker, too, as we all know. And it's not that he can't play that game, but I know I've always felt this way, and I know Mike Sullivan feels this way, that when Malkin is almost greedy when it comes to scoring goals, when he when he uses a shot-first mentality, that's when he's at his best. And, and we saw Malkin get really hot when he was on a line with Carl Hagelin and Patrick Hornquist. And those aren't guys who are natural finishers, and that forces Malkin to, to really look to create his own shot. And, boy, that's exactly when he got hot, and that's part of the reason Sullivan put Malkin with those two guys because he wanted to encourage him to shoot more. And I wouldn't break it up, but when Hornquist is healthy, I'd probably go right back to that line because, man, it was working. Is Sid ever going to score career goal number 400, or is he an assist guy for the rest of his career? (laughs) I don't think he's become Joe Thornton just yet, and I know it's driving him crazy. And you know what's funny when he does get it? He's probably going to score five goals in five games or something like that because uh, that's usually the way it works. And, and he always jokes that he is kind of a streaky goal scorer, and he is a little bit, um, whereas the playmaking aspect of the game just comes so naturally to him. He's always going to set people up left and right. But goal scoring, I guess he's been a little bit streaky over the years, and it's got to be in his head a little bit at this point. It's been nine games now that he, he hasn't gotten that 400th goal. It's going to come sooner rather than later, and Mark, I would have bet money that he was going to score it against Flower the other night. Uh, it just would have been a sit kind of thing to do, and he had a great look on the first shift of the game, no less. But, uh, yeah, I think it's probably going to come pretty soon. Uh, the Flurry celebration on Tuesday at PPG Paints Arena was terrific. But the Penguins won and showed a lot of resilience coming back from down to nothing against a very good team. It really does look like the Penguins have flipped the switch, doesn't it? Sure does. Um, you know, Vegas... Uh, we can't really call them an expansion team anymore. They're they're legit. That that's and that's nothing less a legit playoff team. Maybe something more. I don't know. And you're down two nothing against one of the best goaltenders in the league right now, and a very good defensive team. And to roar back like they did, uh, there there were some stretches in the second and third periods of that game where, frankly, the Penguins did make Vegas look like an expansion team. And and that hasn't really happened to the Golden Knights this year. But uh, the Penguins have flipped the switch. It. Uh, it happened that night in Brooklyn about a month ago. I don't know why that was the night it happened. Um, but from that night on, Crosby and Malkin and Kessel have just been unbelievably good. And when they play at that level, everybody else tends to follow, and that's exactly what we're seeing. Uh, I want to uh, say one more thing about the Flurry uh, celebration. Do you think the Penguins will ever retire Flurry's number 29? Uh, I-, I don't think he's quite at a level 
of Sid and Mario, or for that matter, Yager or Malkin. But it has to be a possibility, given Flurry's popularity here in Pittsburgh. I've been thinking about it a lot the last few days, and I think they will. Um, I, I don't know that for a fact. I know for a fact Yager's number is going up to the Raptors in a couple of years whenever he wants to come back. And I think uh, Crosby and Malkin are locks. Uh, the one other guy from this era you think of is Flurry. And to me, 375 career wins, uh, three Stanley Cups, uh, you know, two of which he played a gigantic role in. Um, among the most beloved teammates in, in, in Penguins in, in franchise history, uh, yeah, I think that is enough. Um, and I know the Penguins don't retire many numbers, but they've won five Stanley Cups now. Uh, when you win that many Stanley Cups, there's probably a few guys who deserve it. And, uh, yeah, I, I do think uh, the number 29 will be up there at some point. We're talking to Josh Joey of TheAthletic.com. He's brought to you by the Orthopedic Institute at Monongahela Valley Hospital. Let's talk about two guys who need to be better for the Penguins. First off, Chris Letang, who I think is playing better, but he needs to step up still a bit more. Where is his game currently lacking? Well, he's just making these bizarre mental errors when he has the puck. Now, that's what I see more than anything else. Um, you know, over the years, we've been critical of him at times for his work on the power play, but listen, the best power play in the league right now is at 27%. Uh, obviously, he's doing something right. He deserves some credit for, for that aspect. But he's making curious decisions with the puck, just decisions that he shouldn't be making at 30 years old. It's just unusual to see. And I do think, while he remains a great skater, I'm not sure that we see him pull away from people the way he once did. And that's not to suggest that he's not the skater that he was five years ago. I just think the rest of the league eventually catches up to you. Crosby doesn't look as fast now as he did 10 years ago either. That's just because the league catches up. And I don't know that Chris has adapted his game quite well enough for that kind of thing. But uh, I do see him getting better. He's a better player now than he was in November. And I think he'll be better in April than he is now. Number two. Matt Murray, he's been okay, but he's got another level, doesn't he? Yeah, he better. Um, <laughs> he, he's just been okay. He hasn't been horrible. And listen, the Penguins have not exactly been the 95 devils in front of him this season, especially early. Uh, that We cannot ignore that. The, the other goaltenders, they asked Anthony Niemi about the Penguins' defense. I mean, you know, they were not very good at all in front of their goaltenders early on. But that said, uh, Matt did not play very well against Vegas. A couple of those goals he would really like to have back. He just needs to stay healthy, and he needs to play you know, 17 of the next 20 games, get himself in a groove, get ready for the spring as he always is. Um, I think he'll be okay, but he's probably a little bit of a concern right now because, frankly, he has not played at the level this season that we saw the previous two seasons. Now, now getting back to Tanger for one second, why do defensemen keep joining the rush late in games when the Penguins lead? And not just Tanger either. It doesn't make sense. I understand uh, Mike Sullivan's desire for the Penguins to play the right way consistently, but don't you have to consider scoring situation at certain points? Yeah, it's something that's been going on with the Penguins for a long time, really before Sullivan, I would suggest. Um, gosh, they won the Stanley Cup last year, so I can't be too critical. But if I could be critical of anything they did last spring, they didn't always play very good situational hockey. I mean, there's no question when they're up 5-3 with five minutes left, they're trying to score that sixth goal a little too hard sometimes. And I guess that's in the franchise DNA a little bit. And when you have a bunch of star players, it's always their instinct to, to push forward with offense. But I agree that they need to do a better job of shutting down games. 
Uh, I don't think anybody in, in PPG Paints Arena feels comfortable when the Penguins have a two-goal lead with 10 minutes left. And when, when you're the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion, you should be pretty comfortable in that situation. So I, I think it's something they need to work on. And, and why does he do it, and why do other defensemen do it? I, they're being told to do it. Uh, that, that's just part of the coaching philosophy, and I, it's one that uh, I think is uh, worthy of being questioned a little bit. Are the Penguins comfortable with their defensive core right now? Because with Cole back in the good books, uh, that's a solid eight. Uh, I don't like playing Hunwick every night. I don't like playing Ruedel every night. But if they're the guys waiting in the wings in case of injury, I'm good with that. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And boy, has Ian Cole been good the last few games. Um, I, I don't think he should have been out of the lineup in the first place. I'm, I'm on record as saying that. Uh, obviously, he and Mike Sullivan have some issues. Perhaps they've worked them out. Uh, Cole has been terrific. Uh, he and Alexiak have formed a fine pairing, in fact. If that's your third pairing, that's pretty darn good. Uh, yeah, I think the blue line's set. Uh, Latang and Dumoulin, they're obviously comfortable together. Mata and Schultz are, you know, Schultz is finally healthy, and, and I think that's a really nice second pairing. Mata's having his best uh, season, in my opinion. And you're right, the depth is good. Uh, I know a lot of people think Ian Cole might still get traded, and I guess it's possible. I don't really see it happening right now. You, you need depth at the blue line, and you've got eight pretty good NHL defensemen right now. I think, and I agree with you, a pretty clear top six. Uh, you don't really want to mess with that. Now, that. That's a pretty darn nice thing to have. It's a very good blue line. We're less than three weeks till the trade deadline. When are the bullets going to start to fly? <laughs> Well, you know how it is. Usually when there's one trade around the league, that kind of triggers everything else. Um, I know Jim Rutherford wants a center. Uh, he's wanted one since July, since Nick Benino left and since Mike Cullen left. Um, the asking prices are still really high. It doesn't mean he won't get one, but I think at this point Jim's probably going to wait until the last second and hoping those asking prices go down a little bit. Um, they like Riley Shea and they like what he's done with the Penguins, but they like him a hell of a lot more as the fourth-line center than they do the third-line center. So that is his goal. Um, we'll see. I don't think it's a lot that it happens, but I know he's going to try. The New York Rangers put out a news release today basically saying, we're going to blow it up, we're going to trade all the old guys. A message to the fans. That was unique. I don't blame them for doing it, but I can't believe they announced it. wonder how that went over in Manhattan today. I would assume not very well. <laughs> um, and you know, the funny thing is, I mean, I think the Rangers stink too, so I don't necessarily disagree with them. But they're only like three or four points out of a playoff spot. I mean, it's not like you look at the standings and they're not well out of it by any stretch. They're one hot streak away, but uh, I think they've determined that they've kind of made their run over the last five or six years and it's done. And I, I do agree with them. So I'm not saying it's wrong, but yeah, from a uh, PR standpoint, I don't know that that announcement was necessarily uh, the right thing to do. I think you can just kind of go about your business and sell people off the deadline, if you want, uh, when you come out and say that in early February, it's a little strange. Well, the Rangers are in last place. I do think they're fading. Columbus has lost four straight. What are the Jackets yeah. going to do? Because they thought they were legitimately close to a Stanley Cup coming into the season. Yeah, they did, and they sure don't look like it right now. Um, you know, the head coach there has done a lot of good things. I do think he made them a better team in the short term. Uh, however, he has a history of making teams better in the first couple of years, and then set teams get tired of him. And I, I wonder if that's what's happening a little bit. It wouldn't shock me. And also, when you look at the roster, listen, they've already had issues at center. They weren't very good there. They've been playing for long stretches now without Dubinsky. Um, they're just not very good down the middle. And if you're in the Metropolitan Division and you're not very good at center, 
Well, guess what? You've got to play teams like Pittsburgh, and you've got to play Washington, those backstrom, because Netsov, and all these other teams with good centers. They're not as good as people think right now. That's just the way it is, and I wouldn't be shocked if they don't make the playoffs. Uh, they've got some real issues at forward. Who would the Pens least like to play in the first round, and who would they most like to play? And, and I say that knowing that no team wants to play them. Right. Well, yeah, no question. Um, oh, it's still best case for the Penguins to win the division, which they certainly could. And they might get, I don't know, a Philadelphia or something like that, one of the wild card teams who I don't think they would have a lot of trouble with. Um, I'm only basing this off one game, but the New Jersey Devils are kind of interesting in that they can match the Penguins' speed. That's an incredibly fast team that Ray Shiro has put together. And Corey Schneider is a guy, um, he's never won a ton in the playoffs, but he's a very talented goaltender. He does strike you as the type of guy that could steal a series. So I don't think the Devils would beat the Penguins, but I do think they would give them fits. I think it would be an interesting series. Josh, as always, a pleasure. We'll see you at the rink. All right, Mark, you got it. That's Josh Shoei from TheAthletic.com. Whenever we're done, Josh kind of sounds off like he's Barry White. You got it, Mark. Up next, talk to Bob McLaughlin, 105.9 X. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Super genius, big fan. That happens when the show's as popular as this one. Yeah, double M, man. He'd love the show. He just wants to dance. The X at 105.9. I'm joined now by Bob McLaughlin. Bob brought you by 84 Lumber. Bob, what are your thoughts on the Steelers hiring Tom Bradley as their defensive backs coach? I think he's a great coach, a great teacher, and has a great outlook on football. Yeah, I agree with all those things, and maybe I'm a little bit hypocritical here because I've talked in the past about how maybe they shouldn't bring people in so close to the program and maybe out, look outside a little bit, but uh, Tom Bradley knows the well, ins cause, and Because Tom's brother, Jim, yeah. is the Steelers team physician. Yeah, and plus... You know, he's been that in that position for a long, long time. But well, I don't think this is nepotism or cronyism, Bob. No, uh, no. Tom Bradley's uh, resume speaks for itself at Penn State and at uh, UCLA. I've always felt bad that things went down the way they did at Penn State for a lot of reasons. But among those reasons that had there not been a Sandusky scandal, I think Tom Bradley would be the Penn State head coach right now. Absolutely, I agree with you. And I know that you have a personal relationship with him. I do too. Uh, he's one of the better people I know in both football and outside of football. Uh, I've known him for quite a long time. And boy, Mark, um, he's always dealt with the younger players. He's, he knows that younger generation. Uh, maybe but he's, he's, he's no nonsense too. Absolutely. he He's not a hard ass, but he's no nonsense. And He's people, firm. Yeah, and, and he's got you know he's got credentials. He, people know that he knows the game. He's put his time in. He knows every situation in that backfield or that secondary. So uh, good hire by the Steelers. And good now, for now him. do you think the media are going to bring up uh, Tom's presence at Penn State during the scandal? Or do you think that's uh, blown over as a media issue now? I think it's blown over. Tom's done enough media you know, availabilities. Uh, he's been questioned on that. Um, well, you know how you it, don't talk about it. You just don't talk you about it. You just don't talk I've about it. I've already gotten a bunch of tweets saying, well, you're not going to bring it up because you like Tom Bradley. You know what I tweeted back? That's right. <laughs> I mean, Put me in that boat, too. Well, Bob, I, I think personally, I, I did my part when it came to the Penn State scandal. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think that uh, this show has handled that already. And even before Tom Bradley was named to this position, you've yeah, moved on from that. Yeah, Tom Bradley's long since moved on from that. Uh uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and guess whether you had knowledge or not. I think just about everybody up there had some degree of knowing, but I don't think it matters anymore. I, I just don't. I I think that just because you were there at the time that happened, 
it shouldn't mark you for life or keep you from getting opportunity. Right. Well, the thing we should be worried about right now is can he turn that secondary around because that was a main problem last year. Um, well, well, see, that that's the thing. This will sound ridiculous. I would bet because Carnell Lake was such a good NFL defensive back, he wasn't the teacher he should have been. That's and, fair. And I'll give you an example. Yogi Berra, when he was a coach, couldn't teach guys to hit. He was a great hitter, one of the best ever, but he couldn't verbalize the mechanics of hitting because he just it was so natural to him. Like when Yogi Berra would try to – this was in Ball 4, the greatest baseball book ever written. Jim Bond says that Yogi would get tongue-tied and flustered, try to teach guys to hit, and he'd just grab a bat, jump into the cage, say, watch me do it. Yeah. Whereas Tom Bradley, I think – I know people always want coaches to have played the game at a high level, but I think Tom Bradley – has a very nuanced look at what it takes to be a good defensive back, a good defensive player at a high level of football. Right, and he did it in college also, and he, you know, he didn't earn the nickname Scrap by being the finesse guy. You know, right. by by doing it exactly by the book, he just got it done, and then obviously he got it done teaching the way to do it because of the success of the Penn State defenses over the years. You know, the the success that he's had. I hope he translates that to the Steelers. Well, let me also. tell you who this is a big break for. Big break for Artie Burns, big break for Sean Davis, big break for Cam Sutton, big break for all the young guys there. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? Maybe this is a maybe Tom does something very well that he can specifically help those guys with their game. And you know that that is man to man. I mean, if they're not if they're going to get away from the zone stuff a little bit and they're going to rely more and more, which they're going to have to this upcoming season. And that's pretty much what those guys were brought in to be, weren't they? I mean, well, and I think I, I see. I don't know how how highly regarded Tom will be right off the bat. I think this is his first NFL coaching job, right? Yeah. But but, but you know, if I'm if I'm uh, Keith Butler, I bounce stuff off Tom Bradley because Tom Bradley, albeit you know in college, has one heck of a past as a defensive coordinator. So if I'm Keith Butler, I want to use that resource that is Tom Bradley as much and as effectively as I can. Yeah, absolutely. So good th- good thing for him. Good times for Steelers fans coming up, hopefully. One thing we've not talked enough about today, Bob, but I'd like some feedback uh, on this from the callers at 412-333-WXDX. That high school basketball brawl between Manessa and Clareton, did you see the video? I saw the entire video, yeah. Effing scary. Absolutely. I mean, the players it- are beating the crap out of each other, then the stand's empty, and they just, it, it was, the, the security and the cops there were so many fights, they couldn't break them all up. Yeah, I, I mean, the way... I watched two different videos. I watched one that started right as the fight started to happen, and then I went back and I watched one of all the highlights of the game. And the game started to get chippier and chippier as it went. You could see a little bit... It was getting a little physical. And then every once in a while, whoever was doing the highlights of the game, you would pan over to the parents on the side, and they were real into the game. I mean, that's, yeah. uh, well, that, that's, that, that's one way of putting it. Absolutely. Uh, and when it started, it was like a firecracker going off, Mark. I mean, it was one punch, and then everybody was on it. You talked and earlier by the, way, the show. This, this video is easily accessible online. It, it's everywhere. It's national it's news right now. Everybody's watching it. But you talked earlier in the show about having them, you know, not play in front of... Uh, well, how, how would you discipline them? Well, because I keep in mind, Bob, they're both playoff teams. Absolutely. Uh, I agree with what you said earlier. They've got to play that game with nobody else in the gym. That's been done before. Play empty gymnasiums? Empty gymnasiums. What, for the rest of the season? Sure. 
Now, now here's the well, de- and okay. even maybe a a bigger penalty, Mark, because that was terrifying. Well, here's were- de- here's Devil's Advocate. If you played in an empty gymnasium, you're penalizing the other team, specifically when Claret and Manessa go on the road. Oh, I thought you were just talking about those two together. If they meet up, oh again. no, no, I think they should play all their games in empty gymnasiums. I I think you know it, it's bad enough the players fought, but the way the fans and yes, the parents acted was was disgraceful. And I think the kids might learn their lesson. I'd have more faith in them to have done so than the parents and fans. Well, I would say this. Um, either team, I would give you a certain amount of limited family members only. Like, I would say two. Bob, I bet they were the biggest problem. Yeah, I can't say that, you know, definitely. I would say empty gymnasium for all games. Yeah, but again, your point as to what does it do for the other team? Well, maybe to control the situation, you have to, you know... Put the sword to them a little bit. It was absolutely Actually, okay, a safety if, if, issue. Here, here's the thing. I would say to the other teams, okay, here's the options. We play these games in empty gymnasiums, or we just kick them out of the league for the rest of the year. We suspend the basketball programs. Because, Bob, if, if at the very least they don't play in empty gymnasiums, whatever punishment is levied will be too weak. No, I agree with you. You know, it, I don't know if there's an easy answer to this question. Uh, and obviously, you saw the video too. Security was woefully undermanned at that i mean they had no chance of breaking up all those fights because well you know what you know what though bob i think it's unfair to say security was undermanned i think it was just so overwhelming that that they were always going to lose that numbers game uh, properly staffed that's that's what i meant that's what i meant i mean there was just no way that many people coming out of the stands along with the players along with you know there were family members there were kids who weren't even in uniform there were parents hitting kids it was absolutely. I heard Joey a Porter issue. came out of the stands and slugged somebody. I cannot corroborate. Mike that. Tomlin was smoking a cigar. <laughs> That's Bob McLaughlin. He's brought you by eighty-four lumber. In thirty seconds, we're going to look at what Art Rooney the second had to say yesterday and today. He made all the media outlet uh, stops. We should have got him. Wonder why we didn't. Was he on DVE? I wonder. Oh, he was on DVE. Okay, well that's the uh, the iHeart Media stop for Art Rooney the second. And I wouldn't have grilled him. I, I might have followed up a little bit differently than some did. But, uh, you see, I thought Art presented himself well, but I don't believe a word he said. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll tell you the whole deal in a moment here on 105.9.